Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in Johannesburg, South Africa, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about Gabon striker Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang as his move to Arsenal makes him Africa's most expensive player ever. We also focus on the US Major League Soccer and we have an interview with Ghana international striker David Akam, who's at the Philadelphia Union. So how strong is the league there? The quality of MLS is growing and MLS is competing with European teams for players now, so it shows the, the quality of the league now. And from I think the next two, three years, MLS can be, can be top there. Well, that's coming up shortly, but first to the 2018 African Nations Championship, the CHAN in Morocco. This is the fifth edition of the Continental Championship. It's like the Africa Cup of Nations, but for the home-based players only. And Sunday's final will be played between Morocco and Nigeria. I was surprised to see Zambia knocked out in the quarterfinals by Sudan and Angola unlucky to be knocked out at that stage too. They were leading Nigeria 1-0 going into second half stoppage time only for Nigeria to score and to win it in extra time. So a great final to look forward to then as the host Morocco play Nigeria on Sunday night. Well, the big, big news in African football this week is that Gabon striker Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has moved to Arsenal from Borussia Dortmund for around $79 million, making him Africa's most expensive player ever, ahead of Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane. Aubameyang was the 2015 African Footballer of the Year. He's been a goal-scoring machine at Dortmund. He's been averaging a goal or an assist every 96 minutes. So, Solomon, how do you think he'll do at Arsenal? I really feel uh, Aubameyang is going to do so well with Arsenal. We're looking at a player who is not just prolific in front of goals, but he's also very creative. He can assist the other strikers in in Arsenal to get the goals that is needed. So we're not looking at a a striker who just waits for the ball uh, to come, but he also creates spaces, moves around quite well where he gets the ball. He has pace. There there is news going, making the rounds that in 30 meters, he actually could run faster than Usain bold could you know so he's a very fast he's a he's a sprinter with the ball are very pacey and i think at this time of the season and this time of the life of arsenal football club definitely he is uh, gonna play a key role in in really bringing uh, the goals and arsenal over the years have been known as a as a team that has attracted great uh, african players Yes, and Aubameyang, uh, another one of those. Uh, well, Stuart, as Solomon says there, Aubameyang has phenomenal pace. Uh, so will he fit in at Arsenal and adapt to English Premier League football? Well, Steve, you certainly cannot question his talent or his goal-scoring record in Germany since he joined Dortmund in 2013. But he did spend four years in France prior to that when he was anything but successful. And as an AC Milan player, he never even got a game there. But two things worry me about how well he will do in England. First of all, he's 28 and likely nearer to 29, which is quite old to start a career in the Premier League. The style of football in France and Germany is quite different to the Premier League in England. He will need to adjust. And how quickly will he do that? Then there's the question of 
Arsenal's main striker, Alexander Lacazette, who was signed in the close season for a big fee. Will Aubameyang play alongside him, in front of him, behind him, out wide? Can they both play together? That needs to be worked out. And my second reservation is the Arsenal team he's joining is frankly in disarray. They've just lost their best player, Alexis Sanchez, along with Theo Walcott and Olivier Giroud. In my opinion, this is the worst squad of Arsenal players for years, and they've got very little chance of finishing in the top four. But my concern is that Arsenal are expecting Aubameyang to transform a poor team into a winning team. And will he get the support that he needs? So I see Arsenal struggling this season. The pressure on Banger to go at the end of the season could well start again. Where does that leave Aubameyang? So, Stuart, not as positive as Solomon and I are. I'm hoping that Obama Yang will be an African sensation at Arsenal. We'll have to see how things work out. We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to our interview with Ghana international striker David Akam. 27-year-old Akam has 10 appearances for the Black Stars and he plays his club football in the US Major League Soccer. After four years in Sweden, he was signed by the Chicago Fire in the American MLS in 2014. And last month, he moved to the Philadelphia Union, where he was warmly welcomed by fans. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji spoke to Akam and first asked why, when most African players dream of playing in Europe, he chose the US MLS and how he assesses the strength of the league. I played in Sweden for four years before I moved to MLS and for me MLS is, is catching up with, with, with some of the top leagues in Europe. Uh, the quality of MLS is growing and MLS is competing with European teams for players now so it shows the, the quality of the league now and for me I think the next two, three years MLS can be, can be top there. You keep challenging um, for the national team call-up. You keep playing in the MLS. A lot of people back home in Ghana believe that playing in the MLS does not give you a competitive edge over some of the players playing in Europe. Do you agree? I don't, I don't really agree, but th- that's the perception here. And it shows every time. Every time you come and people think you play in the MLS, you don't really get the respect you deserve. People pl- who play in uh, Europe get more respect because they, they play there. That's what people think. And uh, sometimes it's, it's difficult, but also you have to agree because most people watch European League than MLS, so we, we just have to do better. And players in MLS, we have good players in MLS, and for us, we need to come back home and prove to them that MLS is also a good thing. At the national team level, Ghana, I mean, you guys were qualifying for the World Cup since 2006. People thought the Black Stars would be there. The Afghan didn't really go well as planned. What's the future for the Black Stars? Like, when you see the kind of players you have, the caliber of players you have, what's going on in the management level and everything, what do you think is the future for the Black Stars? Uh, for me, I think we have some of the young, best players in, the, in, in Europe, and we have enough quality to, to be anyone in Africa. But we need to prepare well. That, that's the main issue. We, we don't really prepare well. And I think the new, the new management and the new technical, technical team are doing really job are doing really good job now and I think they are doing the necessary stuff for us to, to do one in the next AFCON. Are you disappointed that instead of playing at the World Cup this summer, you'll be watching from the couch? It's difficult. As a player and as a country as Ghana, we want to be playing the World Cup, but we didn't qualify so it's, it's I am disappointed but we will support the five African countries going to the World Cup. Ghana will support them. 
You're a young player. You earn good money relatively okay. You're comfortable with life. But yet, each time you talk, you mention the role of God in your life. Tell me, how much of an impact does knowing that God is there for you and um, knowing that you could always communicate with God, how much of a role does he play in your life as a sportsman? Uh, it plays a lot. Uh, for me, I'm a Christian and I believe in God. And I know God God is our everything. And we live, we live in for God. So apart from soccer, apart from football, the only thing that matters is God. God is the first thing that comes to life. All these things will pass away, but God will still be there. So I want my lifestyle to reflect as a good Christian, no matter where I am. How you, do you communicate with um, God, Jesus Christ? How do you communicate? Uh, I pray home. I go to church, and I also fellowship with some, some of my soccer players. We have like a chaplain at our club, and everywhere, every no, once a week, the chaplain comes to the club. We do some worship. We pray. We, we talk. So these this are some of the stuff we do. That's Ghana's David Akam on his football and his faith as a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, Solomon, what do you think of the USA as a destination for African players? Yeah, Steve, I think uh, the USA is fast becoming a very great destination for African players. Uh, over the years, we've seen uh, players like Nigerian Bright DK playing in the MLS. And also we've seen uh, even a former uh, Chelsea uh, technical director, Mike Menalo. He had played for San Jose. The Ghanaian player, uh, Jonathan Mensa, he is there playing for Colombo's crew. Uh, we have Benjamin Agoa uh, from Cote d'Ivoire who is playing for a New England Revolution. There is a Nigerian, Fernanda Adi, uh, who is there for Portland Timberlands. There's David Akam, obviously. Uh, there's Ambrose Oyongo playing as an attacker for uh, Montreal Impact. I think the, the MLS is a good uh, building block for African players to go into Europe for some of them that are aspire to play at the top of their football. I feel Europe is still going to be the, the, the best place in one of the top four leagues. Uh, but the MLS provides the, a great opportunity for the player to uh, be able to uh, showcase his talent, to be able to grow uh, for younger players, especially from Africa. Sure, and also to some extent, the MLS has been an end-of-career destination with the great Didier Drogba having moved there. Now, Stuart, what do you think about the strength of the American MLS, the Major League Soccer? Because Akam has a lot of good things to say about it. Well, it's hard to assess the standard of the MLS because their clubs never play competitive games with Premier League or other European clubs. As you say, MLS attracts top world-class players, but normally at the end of their career. At the moment, one can think of Bastian Schweinsteiger, the former Bayern Munich and German captain who currently plays in the MLS, as does the former Spanish World Cup winner David Villa. We mentioned Rugba. We could also mention Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, the Brazilian Kaka, and going back further, Pele, who ended their careers in America. And of course, David Beckham not only played for LA Galaxy, but is now the owner of the Miami team. Now, the amount that players are paid operates at two levels. For example, Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard were on a reported $6 million a year, And in 2016, I read there were 23 players on more than a million dollars a year. But to put that in context, I would imagine that at least half the English Premier League clubs have 23 players on a contract worth more than a million dollars, as opposed to 23 in the entire league. And at the other end of the spectrum, a significant number of players are on the basic wage, which is $50,000 a year. 
And uh, Stuart, how serious is football in the USA? Because it's not one of the big four sports there, is it? Uh, the big four in America are basketball, baseball, American football and ice hockey. Well, as far as spectators go, Atlanta play in front of crowds of 50,000 most weeks, but the average for all clubs is just about 20,000. And incidentally, in the Eastern Conference Division 1, which is one of their four leagues, I counted 14 Africans in the 11 clubs. But it's certainly true in terms of spectators and salaries that the MLS lags well behind American football, baseball, basketball and even hockey. Another difference is that in American football, baseball and basketball particularly, U.S. is the strongest nation in the world, but that isn't the case in football or soccer, as they call it. So American football, baseball, basketball, etc., don't have to compete with foreign TV coverage of their sports, whereas an American TV soccer fan may prefer to watch Manchester United play Chelsea or Barcelona play Real Madrid on TV rather than, shall we say, the D.C. United against Chicago Fire. American soccer at the moment has hit a low with the national team not qualifying for the 2018 World Cup for the first time in several World Cups. But one positive I can see is that of the last 60 players chosen by the U.S. for the national team, only 16 play abroad with 44 of them playing in the MLS. So MLS is making progress. But I really do think it's unrealistic to think it will ever become one of the world's major leagues, despite its name. Well, interesting insight into football or soccer in the USA. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programmes too in our archive. Well, let's talk English football now. Stuart, we're still with us. Uh, Stuart, last week you spoke about the video assistant referees, the VARs, in the FA Cup last week and how good they are on settling matters of fact, but not when it comes to matters of opinion. Now, Liverpool lost 3-2 to West Brom last weekend and there were three incidents where the video assistant referee was used. All were correct, but it did result in rather awkward stoppages. Yes, there has been a lot of criticism of how VAR operated in that uh, Liverpool-West Brom game, particularly the length of time it took for decisions to be made. The issue is not so much with VAR itself, but with how it's being used. In cricket and rugby, for example, a video replay of the incident being reviewed is shown on the big screen. In American football, the crowd is told what the officials are checking. But as VAR is currently operating in football in England, the only person in the stadium who knows what is being checked and who is allowed to see the video is the referee. In this Liverpool-West Brom game, referee Craig Pawson used VAR three times in the first half, on one occasion taking three minutes to make his decision and adding six extra minutes to the first half. But I have some data. A study has been done of the first 800 games in which VAR has been used worldwide, and the picture is actually less negative. It shows that the average stoppage time for VAR in a game is one minute, and contrast that with 3 minutes 37 seconds dead time while goal kicks are being taken, 5 minutes 45 seconds for throw-ins, 
and there's something similar for corners. So perhaps Craig Pawson was just unlucky at that game to have difficult decisions to make. My own conclusion is that VAR is a good thing. It will result in better decisions, but we're still learning how to use it. Yeah, still needs uh, refining, I'd say, the VAR, the video assistant referee. And, uh, Stuart, there was a full programme of English Premier League games midweek. What grabbed your attention there? Well, Steve, the main winner in the midweek programme was Manchester City, who beat West Brom 3-0. And with Manchester United losing to Tottenham and Chelsea losing to Bournemouth, Manchester City now lead Man United by 15 points. Liverpool and Chelsea are three points behind and Tottenham a further two. The bottom of the table remains incredibly tight, with Southampton, Swansea and West Brom currently in the bottom three, but Bournemouth, who are 10th, are still only five points above relegation. That means, I think, that 11 clubs are candidates for relegation. Probably the best result of the week was Swansea beating Arsenal 3-1, with Jordan Ayew scoring. It still leaves Swansea in the bottom three, But under their new manager, Carlos Cavajal, the team seems to have new confidence. Swansea are now unbeaten in their last six League and Cup games. And incidentally, Jordan Ayew has now been joined by his brother Andre, who'd signed from West Ham, returning, of course, to Swansea. But Wilfred Bonney only got two minutes of the game against Arsenal. He does seem to be struggling for time on the pitch. Just want to go back briefly to the FA Cup last weekend. Leicester City beat Peterborough 5-1 and all five goals were scored by Africans. I wonder if that has ever happened. The Nigerians Kelechi Ihenecho got two and Onyinyi Ndidi got one. And then their new signing, Fosenyi Diabati from Mali, just signed a week before, scored two goals as well. Now, he's an interesting player because he was playing for Ajaccio in French League 2 and he was recommended to Leicester City by Grégoire Puel, who happens to be the son of the manager. Right, so giving his dad some good advice there. The big game in the English Premier League this weekend is Liverpool against Tottenham. That's on Sunday. Well, next we turn to social media here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And last week, Morocco formally launched their bid to host the 2026 FIFA World Cup. Now, the North African nation will be up against a joint bid from the USA, Canada and Mexico. Morocco have tried four times before and failed on each occasion. So last week we asked, is this bid a waste of time, given the facilities that the USA, Canada and Mexico have to offer? On Facebook first, an Abdu Dem Chelsea in the Gambia says, yes, indeed, it's a real waste of time and resources as Morocco can't compete against any of these countries individually, let alone when they've made a joint bid together. Abli Osise, also in the Gambia, agrees, saying it's a mountain to climb for them to grab that opportunity, considering who their opponents are. On WhatsApp, a Blessings Nirenda in Malawi has a more positive view. Blessings says what Morocco has done is the best thing to improve African football. Look at South Africa. The football improved there due to the facilities they used during the 2010 World Cup as hosts, and other countries have benefited from that. Eb Silla in the Gambia agrees, saying it's not a waste of time if they feel that they have the facilities to host. I'm sure that they have the financial power to host the World Cup like others do, says Ebb. 
And for the benefit of us, the Africans, I think it'll be good to have the World Cup again. One of the people in Morocco said they're ready to welcome the world, and he even said that they will surprise the world with their infrastructure. I think no one can say that Morocco is not fit to host the 2026 World Cup, and I thank them for their bid, says Ebb. We always welcome your voice notes, and uh, from the Gambia, we heard from Sambu One, who's also positive about Morocco's bid. I believe Morocco is a well-developed country, even though they don't reach the standard of uh, United States and Canada or Mexico. But I believe we are South Africa, we are able to host 2010 World Cup. Why not Morocco? And uh, I believe Morocco is part of the countries in the world where they are also part of the world governing football. That's FIFA. So if other nations in the world are given chance to host the World Cup, why not Africa and why not Morocco? So the 2026 World Cup should be given to Morocco so that Africans can have their second chance to host the World Cup and have more representatives again. Thanks there to Sambu One in the Gambia. Samson Makawa is in Malawi. He says, I can't say openly that it's a waste of time, but Morocco wants to make history, says Samson. As you know, for a nation hosting a major competition like the World Cup, they benefit from the investment that takes place. Tourism is also promoted. So let Morocco have the chance to host, says Samson. To Cameroon now, and Silas Ankiambom Ngong says, Yes, at surface level, I think Morocco's bid is a waste of time. But nonetheless, if there has to be a good balance, then an African country should host the show, considering that since its inception, Africa has hosted the World Cup just once. Fair point there, Silas. But Donald, who's also in Cameroon, disagrees, saying, I think it'll be a waste of time considering those facilities. I think the joint USA, Canada and Mexico bid will win it, says Donald. However, Daniel in Ghana believes Africans should get behind Morocco's bid. I believe Morocco knows what is at stake here, says Daniel. And for a nation like Morocco to come chest out to bid for this great event, I believe every necessary measure is in place. As an African, I'm backing them with full support to get the hosting rights. And Barnabas Ande in Nigeria agrees. It's absolutely not a waste of time, says Barnabas. Don't forget that Morocco successfully hosted the FIFA Club World Cup in good stadiums, so I think they're well-placed to compete even in hotels, training, transport and security facilities. Yes, and I'd add to that uh, that Morocco are doing a good job of hosting the ongoing CHAN. Amalai Oyake in the United States brings an interesting perspective. Africa has 50-something votes when deciding the World Cup, and the anger of Africa and the Caribbean countries has been raised by some unwelcome comments by the President of the United States, says Amalai. Morocco will take the pole position. Interesting that, uh, yes, uh, could there may be an anti-US sentiment uh, as a factor. Mwinga Mimbolua is in Zambia. It's worth a try, says Mwinga. Anything can happen, and they do have the resources needed to stage a tournament of that calibre. To Senegal now, and a comment from Ndene Fai. Morocco's bid is very genuine and never a waste of time, says Ndene. FIFA should really consider it, because the tournament has been played only once in Africa, and that being the case, Morocco are the favourites to win the bidding anyhow. Well, I'm not sure about that, Ndene, but with just two bids on the table, we do have a straight two-horse race. Uh, but Musa K. Turai in the Gambia isn't optimistic. 
To be honest, I for one say it's a big waste of time because I don't see any chance of which Morocco can have the opportunity to get it against those three countries, says Moussa. And finally, Sana Jaune in The Gambia says, I don't think it's a waste of time. Although we can't compare Morocco with the US, Canada and Mexico, I think it's time for Africa to host it again and I wish that they are given the chance. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. They're very, very interesting. And if we didn't get to read out your contribution, apologies for that. Well, this week we're asking, what do you think of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's move to Arsenal? Is he going to shine at the Gunners? Uh, what do you think? You can go onto our Facebook page and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Aubameyang, now Africa's most expensive player ever. Will he deliver at Arsenal? Well, finally, on the show this week, as the English Premier League marks its 25th season in its current format, Stuart has put together for us a series on how the Premier League has grabbed the attention of the world, growing further as the most followed league around Africa and indeed across the globe. This week, Stuart looks at the stadiums. When it was announced that the first division of the Football League would be called the Premier League from season 1992 93 onwards, no one could have foreseen what would have happened over the following 25 years. After all, it was the same 22 clubs continuing to play each other home and away, with the team gathering most points being crowned champions. But in reality, and in a dramatic fashion, over the following 25 years, the 22-headed monster, as someone called it, became the most popular league in the world. The English Premier League has been an outstanding success in many ways, but there has been a price to pay. The cost of that success has included television-controlled kick-off times, high admission tickets, the loss of a distinctly English league, and all of this has left fans often feeling less important than commercial partners. There are real tensions between the commercial success of the Premier League and football's historical and cultural foundations as the people's game. For example, recently the Premier League marketing department referred to Manchester City as a local football club. Now, that may seem a bit strange as a description of a club being funded by billions of pounds of Middle East oil revenue with a squad of players and coaches who are much more foreign than British. In this series, I will be looking at some of the ways the Premier League has changed in its 25-year history. Let's start with the stadium. We used to refer to them as football grounds, arenas where a football club played matches, and which perhaps housed a few club offices but served no other purpose. The role of the modern stadium is no longer just a place to play football matches. It's a business asset in its own right, to generate revenue. It's now about catering, executive boxes, having a museum, stadium tours, business conferences during the week, all to generate money. Stadiums, or stadia if you prefer, are often called after a sponsor. We still have the traditional Old Trafford, Anfield, Stamford Bridge, but then we have Manchester City playing at the Etihad, Arsenal at the Emirates, 
Brighton at the Emax, Leicester City at the King Power, and so on. And take an example of Arsenal's move in 2006 from Highbury, which had been its home for over a hundred years, to a brand new stadium nearby, now called the Emirates. Arsenal's stadium revenue increased from $62 million in its final year at Highbury to more than $167 million two years later. So an increase of $100 million in revenue a year by moving to the new stadium. West Ham United has moved to the London Stadium, or the old 2012 Olympic Stadium. The seats are a long way from the playing field, Some fans find the atmosphere soulless, but on the other hand, it can seat a much larger crowd and therefore generate more income than the old Upton Park Stadium. Well, amazing stuff. And next week, Stuart looks at how TV rights money has grown to astonishing levels during the 25 years of the English Premier League. But that's it for the show for this week. On Facebook and WhatsApp again, we're asking, what do you think of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's move to Arsenal? Will he be a sensation there? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa, and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.